Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood, a retired submarine officer. I'm also a private pilot, martial artist, engineer, and a lifelong fan of science fiction and fantasy. I've written and published dozens of stories across the entire spectrum of speculative fiction. So sit back, let your mind wander through realms of adventure as I tell you a story. Hello guys, it's Michael Kingswood again, and uh, hey, it's story time. Uh, funny how that works out every week, about the same time. Again, apologies for last week being late. This week we're not gonna. <laughs> Bunch of different reasons why. Uh, it's been a pretty interesting week around the Kingswood Casa. Um, whole bunch of family stuff that uh, you don't really care about or maybe need to know about. Um, but also some good uh, financial stuff and... I got a bunch of, not so much writing this week, uh, like I told you last week, I had finished a whole bunch of short stories for the workshop I'm going to. This week has been consumed with reading. I have uh, 240 short stories that I have to read by February 24th to get ready for this uh, this workshop I'm going to. And uh, I think I got through about 30 of them. So far this week, um, after I finish recording this, I'll go back to reading more and get a few more. I think if they uh, basically works out, if you do 10 a day, you can get to uh, get everything done on time, which means I'm a little behind. But I'm always a little behind when deadlines come up. And I'll make it up and it'll be good. Did the same thing last year uh, when I went to the uh, this workshop last year. Anyway, um, yeah. So this week, uh, going to be... Reading another short story of mine. Uh, again, I wrote this one back in 2014, I want to say. I cranked it out fat, uh, near the end of the year because uh, it was coming up on the deadline for the Riders Feature Contest award entry, and I didn't have a story yet. So I was up in Maine at the, uh, the in-laws' place for the New Year's, and New Year's Eve came around. I was like, crap, I still haven't finished a story yet. And so I just sat down and cranked it out. I think it's actually kind of a fun story. We'll see what you guys think of it. Uh, I think it got an honorable mention in the contest, which uh, if you don't know anything about the Writers of the Future contest, it's uh, put on by the legacy of L. Ron Hubbard. He, yeah, he did the Scientology thing. Everybody knows that. But before that, he was big into writing. He wrote Back in the pulp era, was just putting out story after story after story after story, and uh, he made it a big thing of his to uh, mentor new writers that are coming up. Uh, he particularly wrote a lot in science fiction and fantasy, and so back in the what early '80s, he decided to start an award that they called Writers of the Future, that uh, specifically for people who are not professional writers. Professional being not having been published by professional publishers. Now, I consider myself a professional writer because I go out and I make it a business of it, do all that stuff, by the, but by the official letter of the law of the uh, publishing, especially in science fiction and fantasy, publishing realm, since I've only got one uh, short story sale to my credit, I am not truly a professional until I've gotten at least three, so at least by the rules of this contest. So I can still keep on uh, submitting, it to, submitting it to them. Uh, and I still am to this day. But anyway, so uh, but the this contest has come become very highly regarded. It's like the pinnacle of writing contests uh, for science fiction and fantasy, particularly for 
uh, new riders, right? You have, have other awards that come later, but this is specifically for new riders. And it's pretty good money. You get uh, on a quarterly basis, they give out what the top three prizes are like 500 bucks, 300 bucks, 1,000 bucks, something like that. And the grand prize from the year is 5,000 bucks, right? So, and you get published in an anthology, and everybody who's everybody in the science fiction and fantasy world now has heard your name, and hey, yeah, why don't you come talk to us about a book deal and all that sort of thing, right? So, it's a good deal with um, the traditional publishing world. And even, yeah, if you're going to be an independent guy like I like to be, because uh, the more you can get your name out there, the better. Anyway, so I wrote this for the contest. They got an honorable mention. Um, I've got a bunch of honorable mentions for the contest. And if you look at what the uh, head judges put out there say, they give honorable mentions to about the top 10 to 15% of entries they get. So, man, I felt pretty good about it. And uh, and I've gotten a few more since then. I got one, a silver, one silver honorable mention, too, which is even higher. There were only that quarter of the... Dave Farland gave it to me. That one, that quarter they put you know, 1,500 entries or so, and he put out, he gave out like, what, there's uh, how many finalists? Eight finalists, three winners, 16 semifinalists, and there were like 30 or 40 silver silver honorables. And I was like, hey, yeah, look at that. I'm actually pretty good. Um, uh, that's not this story. This story came before. Um, and we'll get to uh, that anyway later so hopefully you like it if you do cool if you don't also cool but uh you know clearly <laughs> your taste in literature is flawed somehow <laughs> anyway uh, i'll get back to you in just a second we'll get started reading okay the blob on the rock written by me so what am i looking at here Margaret sat annoyed, tired, confused, and determined all at once. She looked like hell, though Ray was not stupid enough to say so. Instead, he activated the camera's zoom function. On the display in front of him, the image enlarged enough that there was no doubt. Son of a bitch, Margaret breathed, ringing a nod of agreement from Ray. Never thought you'd see one of those, did you? He replied, not bothering to express a satisfaction he felt. Margaret had only grudgingly authorized this expedition, under the condition that she would supervise it personally. Ray had been halfway inclined to scrap the whole thing rather than endure that, but his partners forced his hand, and he had reluctantly accepted the terms. He could count on one hand the number of days in the six months since that he had not regretted that decision. Margaret had made his life a living hell. Reports, projections, assessments, reassessments of the assessments when the results did not track with expectation, formal inquiries for every little thing that went wrong, the kind of inquiries that take a man week or more to complete and leave you with nothing more than you started with at the beginning except piles of paperwork and several days of your life gone that you would never get back. All these and more she forced on him in the name of good management, procedural compliance, and whatever buzz phrase of the day she felt like latching onto. It had gotten to the point that in a given day, he probably got two hours of real work done. Max. But today it was all worth it because he was right. Ha, <laughs> damn, he was right. Even Margaret would not be able to deny it. Though she would try. Of that, he had no doubt. The door of the control room opened behind them, and Ray turned to see Yusuf, one of his partners, stroll in. Like everyone on the ship, he wore a loose, light gray jumpsuit that was belted at the waist with, and soft-soled shoes. This morning, he also wore a broad grin on his face. Nodding and greeting, Yusuf quipped, What do you think of that, Maggie? Something, isn't it? 
Margaret scowled as she looked away from the display toward Yusuf. She hated being called Maggie, something she had made abundantly clear over the years, but Yusuf seemed to enjoy pushing her buttons. With no escape from each other on the ship's confines, Ray had thought Yusuf would ease up. <laughs> no such luck. Yes, yeah, very interesting, Margaret replied in a clipped tone that generally meant she was about ready to chew some ass, but hardly conclusive in and of itself. Ray felt his jaw drop. What do you mean? he said. What else could... I could think of half a dozen explanations off the top of my head, none of which confirm your hypothesis, she replied. Yusuf snorted and opened his mouth to retort, but stopped as Ray raised a calming hand. What would you suggest then? Ray asked in as polite a tone as possible. Margaret was silent for a moment as she looked back to the display and the image that grew slowly larger as their ship approached the object. Ray could not figure out could not figure how there could be any doubt, but he was forced to admit it was more prudent to proceed from a skeptical point of view, however much he might not like it. Finally, she spoke again. Continue gathering data, and when we get close enough, collect a sample. If this, she gestured toward the slowly rotating object in the display, is what you think it is, we should be able to easily tell once we get a close look at it. Ray blinked in surprise. He glanced at Yusuf, who wore a startled expression as well, one that faded into weariness quickly. Is that wise? Yusuf asked, his voice for once completely serious. We don't know where it's from or what it can do. If we expose ourselves or contaminate the ship, now it's time for Margaret to start Nort. We have a clean room and biocontainment. Surely your team is competent to transport it without violating any of the protocols. Well, that went without saying. They were all exobiologists with extensive experience studying new organisms. Even Margaret, though by virtue of her position at the National Science Foundation, she spent more time pushing paper and dealing with bureaucracy than anything else lately, but this... This is different than anything we have ever encountered, Margaret, Ray said. An organism that is born lives and dies, assuming it does die, all in the vacuum of space. We can't know how it will react to a strong gravity well, let alone an atmosphere or severe heat. 22 degrees is hardly severe. It is when you live in negative 260... Yusuf pointed out. Margaret flushed with what could only be embarrassment. That was a rookie mistake for a lay person, let alone a scientist. She had been out of the game for a while, Ray thought. But still, I don't think bringing it aboard is a good idea, Ray said, completing his earlier thought. Margaret sniffed. Looking back at the display, she frowned slightly, then nodded. Very well. Let's learn everything we can from afar. We may not need a sample at all. She looked back at Ray, and whatever embarrassment she had felt a moment ago was gone, replaced by a steely expression of authority. But I want containment prepped and ready, just in case. With that, she stalked out of the control room. As the door slid shut behind her, Yusuf chuckled, I thought this was your project, Ray. So did I, Ray replied with a rueful smile. It was his idea. He was the one who ran the gauntlet of peer pressure, funding pressure, and skepticism to get the expedition approved, however tight their budget ended up being. Unfortunately, she who provides the money tends to make the rules in the real world. Well, you heard her. Tell Charlie to get the containment facility ready. Yusuf nodded and took a step toward the door. It slid open and he paused, looking over his shoulder toward Ray. Did you notice something? Ray shook his head. No. What? She gave over, trying to deny what that thing is. Yusuf grinned and waggled his eyebrows, then stepped out of the room.
The door slid shut, and Ray's smile became broader, more genuinely happy. Yusuf was right. How about that? Ray watched with growing excitement as Ava, the ship's pilot and the only non-scientist aboard, keyed in the commands to bring the ship into a parallel orbit with the object they had been approaching. They were close now, only a kilometer away from it, and Ray could make out every detail with only minor use of the camera's zoom feature. The asteroid was oblong, just over a hundred meters in length and a third that wide, and tumbled end over end in a slow, awkward-looking rotation. It was nondescript, easily overlooked as just another hunk of mostly worthless elements floating through space, except the darker humps that speckled its surface. Even they were nothing special to look at if one did so quietly, quickly rather. Only observing them for a moment or two revealed that they were moving across the asteroid surface, and as each moved, it left behind a deep rift in the rock's surface. The creatures, whatever they were, were eating the asteroid. Ray was sure of it. All right, Ray, we're parked, Ava said as she tapped one last dialogue windows shut on her pilot's control station. Then she turned around and gave him a warm grin. Have fun. You know it, he replied and winked back. She chuckled and shook her head in amusement, then leaned back in her chair to watch the fireworks, shut as they were. Yusuf, Ray began, already on it. Spectrographic and analyzer is online. At his workstation, Yusuf leaned forward, peering intently at the readout from the analyzer. Damn. The creature's albedo is too low to get a good reading with this ambient light level. Not enough light to work with. I'll have to flash them. He frowned and chewed on his lip for a moment, then looked over at Ray. Ray thought about it for a minute. The creatures might be sensitive to light. Living in space the way they did, it was only logical they would get at least some of their energy from nearby stars. He did not want to disturb or harm them. On the other hand, the analyzer's flash was brief and a discreet frequency band, so the chance of causing undue stress was rather low, and they needed information. He nodded. Okay, go ahead. Yusuf not returned the nod and said, here goes nothing. He tapped a command into his workstation. A moment later, powerful lights mounted beneath the ship's hull illuminated a targeted area of the, new, of the asteroid. Yusuf's display lit up as the data streamed across it. His eyes widened. Arsenic-based from the looks of it. A few complex compounds. This one looks almost like chlorophyll, but not quite. He leaned back and looked over at Ray. It'll take a while to fully analyze this, but this thing is a beauty. Outstanding, Ray said, grinning. He loved being right. He really did. Glancing over at Margaret, seeing her observations work extension in the corner, he was gratified to see her eyes wide in amazement. Charlie? Off to his left, Charlie cleared his throat and replied, Looks like the average about a meter and a half long by three quarters of a meter wide. Radar mapping has them moving at an average of 10 centimeters per minute and leaving a trail an average of 6 centimeters deep in their path. Infrared puts them at 5 degrees above background. Warm-blooded? Margaret said a bit breathlessly. How is that possible in this environment? That's what we're here to find out, Margaret, Ray said, barely able to contain his excitement. He couldn't help himself. He looked back at her, winked, and quipped, Oh, ye of little faith. She glowered at him for a minute, then smirked and nodded, Okay, true enough. <laughs> but I don't see how you're going to be able to figure that out without examining a specimen up close. Ray sighed. You're probably right. Looking back at the display, he tapped his fingers on the top of his workstation desk. 
Charlie piped up. If we grab one, we'll need to take a piece of the asteroid as well. It'll be easier just to scoop it out than to try to remove the thing from the rock. I can set up a containment to simulate the exterior conditions as close as possible. Then all we have to do is configure this ample container to maintain microgravity during transport in and out of containment. He smiled slightly. Not too hard. Ray thought about it for a minute. Despite his and Yusuf's earlier resistance to Margaret's notion, he had, in the back of his mind, considered the possibility of doing an EVA to retrieve a sample of whatever they found. It was not anything he hadn't done before, really, but still, I don't know. What do you think, Yusuf? Yusuf frowned and leaned forward, peering at the main display through narrowed eyes. I don't know. There's a lot that can go wrong. Oh, please. Margaret sounded annoyed again, as usual. Can you really tell me you'll be able to learn much more of use from way out here? There was a brief period of silence, then she nodded to herself. <laughs> I didn't think so. Ray and Yusuf traded glances. Yusuf rolled his eyes, no doubt thinking the same thing Ray was. If only she would leave them alone to do their work, things would be so much easier. Ray sighed. All right, Margaret. We'll do it your way. Charlie, prep for an EVA. The creature, resting on the hunk of rock in the middle of the containment area, did not look like anything special. Just a green-brown blob atop a gray-brown surface. It was the coolest thing Ray had ever seen. As promised, Charlie had adjusted the containment area to match conditions outside the ship as closely as they were able. The creature should be relatively comfortable. Okay, now what? It was almost like Yusuf was reading Ray's mind. Ray shrugged, no idea. Charlie, we could try adjusting conditions, applying some simulation, see how it responds. Ray frowned as he considered Charlie's words. What'd you have in mind? I don't want to hurt it. Raise the ambient light level a bit. I guess that can't do any harm. Go ahead. Charlie nodded returned to the containment area's control workstation. Through the one-way viewing window, Ray could see the light levels increase perceptibly. They waited for several minutes, but nothing happened. He nodded in response to a questioning look from Charlie, then waited as the other man raised the light level again. Still nothing. Charlie raised the light level a third time. The creature seemed to shrink in on itself and darken. That could not be good. Turn it down, Ray commanded, and within seconds, Charlie had the lights back down to their original setting. The creature slowly returned to its original size, and from what Ray could tell in the lower lighting, its original color. He breathed a sigh of relief that was echoed by the others around him. Well, that was interesting, Yusuf remarked. The intercom beeped. Neva's face appeared on the display. She looked a bit worried. Hey, Ray, I just detected a burst of radio waves. You can feel his eyebrows raising on his forehead. Radio? From where? Hard to say. The directional is not giving me any good reading. It's almost as if... She frowned. I'd say it came from us, but we haven't been transmitting. Something off-screen caught her attention, and she, her frown deepened. Another burst of radio. The directional got a read. This time, it's... Her eyes widened. It's from the asteroid. What? Behind him, Margaret interjected. Maybe we're not the first ones here. Ray shook his head. Not a chance. Did you hear of any other project like ours? Silence was her answer. Ray looked around to see her biting her lip nervously. Finally, she shook her head. Well, what's causing it, then? No one said anything for a long time. Ray had a suspicion, but it was so unlikely. He caught himself in mid-thought and gave himself a mental shake. 
Very little in nature was actually impossible. What if... He looked back at the creature in the containment area and felt another surge of excitement. Ava, stand by, he said. Charlie, raise the light level again, please. Slowly. Charlie nodded, an eager light in his eyes. He suspected the same thing Ray did, apparently. What are you doing? Margaret asked. She moved forward from her observer station to stand next to Ray, between him and Yusuf. He glanced to the side, annoyance welling up for a moment. It was crowded enough without having someone pushing people around. But then he saw her expression. Nervousness had given way to actual fear. She had been out of the game for a while. He reminded himself that looking a new life form in the eye in the depths of space is far different from making policy decisions in an office in Washington, D.C. Just watch, Ray said with a smile he hoped was reassuring. This should be interesting. The light level in the containment area gradually increased in response to Charlie's command. As before, nothing happened for a time. Then, suddenly, the creature again shrank and darkened. Charlie looked at Ray. Turn it down? Just a minute. Ray glanced at the intercom display. Ava? Her reply was instant. More radio transmissions. No good direction. What are you doing down there? Confirming a hypothesis. Keep monitoring. With that, he turned back to Charlie and gestured for him to lower the lights again. Very quickly, the ambient light in the containment area was back to its original setting. The creature reacted as it had before, returning to its original configuration. Any change, Ava? She nodded. Radio transmissions have stopped. I'd say that confirms it, Yusuf said with a grin. They communicate with each other using radio waves. Astounding, Margaret breathed. Her nervousness was obviously fading. She leaned forward toward the viewing window to get a better look. Never heard of such a thing. It's not that unbelievable, Charlie replied. Eels on Earth can generate an electric current, and it's not far from that to generating a radio signal. Yes, but to encode it and to make it coherent, Yusuf snorted. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. It's not like they're transmitting television or something. Before Ray could interject, Ava gasped in surprise and shock over the intercom. He blinked. She was normally a very cool customer. Ava, what's up? More transmissions from the asteroid, she replied. The amplitude is more intense and... The duration longer, I'm not sure what. She looked at the display off screen, then cursed and went pale. When her eyes returned to the intercom, there was a noble tension in her face and shoulders. We got a problem, Ray. Ava tapped a command, and her face was replaced with a view of the asteroid. It still tumbled slowly through space, carrying its unusual cargo. But Ray immediately saw what had caused Ava's chagrin. Two green-brown blo green blobs Larger than the others by several meters, for the look of them, had detached themselves from the asteroid and were moving toward the ship. Ah, hell, Charlie said. It's Mom and Dad. Back in the control room, Ray peered at the contact evaluation plot on the main display screen. The two creatures were depicted as red X's, with the velocity vectors displaying their speeds and projected closest points of approach to the ship. By most standards, they were not moving very quickly, just five meters per second, but they were on an intercept course with the ship and would arrive in less than three minutes. Now that is interesting, Ray said, looking for the plot to the camera display. Detached from the asteroid, the creature's undersides were visible. They had multitudes of flexible limbs. They were capped by what appeared to be suction cups, but no mouths or eyes. Ears were out of the question, of course. They would be useless in the void. But where were the rest of the creature's organs and tools? They would be a fascinating study in a proper laboratory.
I guess that's one way to describe it, Ava said. What are we going to do? I doubt they're coming over for a friendly chat. Charlie nodded concurrence. If this is a display of parental protectiveness or just herd mentality, Yusuf interjected. Charlie sighed and nodded, conceding the point. Either way, they're likely to be violent. A loud snort was Margaret's initial reply. They're floating bobs with suckers. How violent can they be? Ray tapped the command console and zoomed in on the asteroid, specifically on the grooves each of the creatures left in the rock. Look at that, Margaret. I'm not sure we want to see what that can do to the hull of our ship. They sat in silence for a few seconds, considering. Glancing around, Ray saw frowns on every face. There were no good decisions. They could just move her away. They could easily outrun the creatures at their current pace. But then they would lose the opportunity to study them in greater detail. They could release the creature down in containment and hope that with its return, the others would calm down and go back to what they were doing, or they could try to repel the approaching creatures. Although exactly how they would accomplish that was another good question. Science vessels do not carry weapons, by and large, and this ship was no exception. I don't want to lose the opportunity to study them, Yusuf said, and received murmurs of concurrence from everyone in the room. All right. Yusuf, try hitting them with the lights again, full spectrum this time. Yusuf nodded, but paused as Ray continued. Charlie, go down to containment and get ready to bring the creature back outside. He noticed all eyes on him, none of them pleased, and he added, Just in case. Margaret scrowled darkly, but remained silent as Charlie got up and hurried out of the room. It took a few keystrokes to reconfigure the strobes. By the time Yusuf was ready, the creatures were two-thirds of the way of the ship. The tension in the control room was palpable by the time Yusuf nodded in readiness. Okay, hit them. At Ray's command, Yusuf activated the strobes. There was an immediate reaction from the oncoming creatures. They darkened, and the receiver indications of Ava's console lit up like a Christmas tree as they transmitted their radio signal. But they kept on coming. In fact, they increased speed. Ray swallowed a chill going up his spine as he looked at the plot and saw their speed had doubled. No, no, it had tripled. He keyed the intercom. Charlie, you ready? Charlie shook his head and Ray could see he was halfway into donning a spacesuit. It's going to be a couple minutes. We don't have a couple minutes. Hurry up. Ray turned to Eva, who looked at the plot as though poleaxed. Eva, move us away. She did not move, so he shouted more loudly, Eva! Eva shook her head and acknowledged and tapped into sequence commands that activated the ship's thrusters. Ray felt a few seconds of acceleration, then the main camera display. The asteroid began growing slower, smaller. On the plot, the creature's rate of closure reduced quickly and then went to zero. That'll give us some time to think, Ray said, trying to sound more calm than he felt. Yusuf turned the lights off. Already done. Yusuf looked as though he really was calm. He tapped his fingers on his lips and thought as he watched the creatures on the display. Very interesting. It's almost as though the light hurts them, but it also gives them energy. Yeah, Yusuf was right. It was interesting, but it was not the top priority at the moment. Going to tell Charlie to release it from containment. Any objections? Ava shook her head quickly. Amazingly enough, Margaret was right behind her. Yusuf looked for a moment as though he was going to raise an objection, but instead he shook his head and frowning. All right, Ray keyed the intercom again. Charlie, as soon as you're ready, release it. On the camera display, the small creature drifted away from the ship on its small asteroid fragment. For a moment or two, nothing happened. Then, all of a sudden, it detached from the hunk of rock. 
Several of the suction cups on the ends of its limbs made a burping motion and it began moving toward the two larger creatures. They, in turn, altered their course toward it. Ray let out a breath he hadn't realized he'd been holding. Looks like they're going for it, he murmured. The creatures met, and the smaller one made a little circle around the other two, trailing its limbs over their backs in a strangely intimate display. After that, first one, then the other larger creatures made a smaller circle around the small one. The trio went on like that for several minutes, trading off circling caresses in sequence. Then they stopped, clustered together in a tight formation. I guess that takes care of the... Oh, hell. Charlie could have been speaking for all of them. On the display, the small creature and one of the large pair split off and sped back toward the asteroid, now just a small point of light in the distance. They moved far faster than before. But the other, lar other large creature remained still for a moment, then rotated in space and shot towards the ship, again in a much faster clip than it had used earlier. Crap! Ava shouted, and she punched the thruster controls. They were pressed in their seats as the ship accelerated away, but the ship, but the creature was already going too fast. Inexorably, it grew larger in the display screen. Impact in 30 seconds, Ava replied. Her voice strained, but even. Any ideas? Ray asked and received silence in response. Ava tapped another command and the ship lurched to the side, nearly throwing them out of their seats. In the display, the creatures zipped past but quickly adjusted to the new vector as it continued to close the distance between them. There was no use, they were going to collide. Race for impact! Ava shouted. The creature filled the entire camera display, then the ship rang like a gong. They were thrown out of their chairs, this time as the ship turned completely over. It took a long several seconds for the inertial systems to compensate and restore their gravity vector to normal and they bounced around erratically the whole time. When they finally came to rest, Ray came down hard on his left shoulder. Pain flared up from the joint and his arm went numb. A bad sign. Gritting his teeth to fight against the pain, he forced himself to his feet. Everyone okay? Assorted grunts and groans were the only answer, but one by one, the other three got to their feet. They looked all right. Well, that was something at least. Ava, status report please. Just then, a loud hissing and popping sound echoed throughout the ship, followed by a deep groaning. What's that? Margaret asked, her face ashen and her voice strained. My guess is the creature is trying to eat the ship the same way it eats the asteroid, Yusuf replied. Is there anything we can do? Great question. Ray looked at that over at Ava, who shook her head. Short of doing an EVA and manually prying it off the hull, no. How long would that take? She snorted. How do you intend to do it, is the better question. There's long silence after that. Ray did a mental tally of their onboard equipment and was forced to concede the point. They did not have anything that could even begin to dislodge something as large as that creature. So we're screwed, Charlie summed up, apparently having done the same calculation in his head. Looks that way, Ray said. Alright, Charlie, get all the data we've collect collected, collated, and transmit it to the Kranz station. Ava, get the lifeboat powered up. The rest of you gather up your gear and all the food and water you can carry. There's no telling how long a rescue will take. He rose and moved to the door, but Margaret stepped into his way. This is insane. You can't know that we'll be able to get through the hull. Just a matter of time if it keeps working at it. What's to stop it from coming after us in the lifeboat? Ray sighed, feeling the other's eyes on him as he replied nothing. Our best hope is that it's so focused on the ship 
that it won't notice us when we launch. And if it isn't, he shrugged, and her face dropped. He thought he saw the beginnings of tears in her eyes for a moment, but then, with a swift inhalation, she wiped her eyes and nodded. Better get to it, then. Right then, in spite of himself, Ray found that he admired her. Through the lifeboat's viewing window, Ray watched as their ship died. First one, then a second stream of gases began venting from the vessel as the creature trued through the hull and into the innards of the ship. The ship began rotating erratically under the force of the venting gases, then suddenly blew apart in a quickly extinguished flash of flame. The creature must have contacted the fuel lines. Ray almost hoped the creature had been killed in the blast, but his intellect rebelled against such gross barbarity. It wasn't the creature's fault that they had come barging into its home and carried off its child. Yusuf had earlier been quick to point out that there was no evidence the creatures were displaying family instincts, but Ray found he preferred to think they did. It made them less alien and inscrutable, and more human almost. In the expanding ring of records, Ray saw the creature right itself and come around in space for a moment, his breath caught in his throat. This was it. Would it come after them again? The seconds ticked by, each one seemed to take hours. Then slowly, the creature began moving back toward the asteroid. Ray breathed a sigh of relief and heard the same from his shipmates. Smiling for the first time in what felt like years, he turned away from the viewing window. On the other side of the lifeboat, Ava had a set of earphones pressed to her ear. She nodded excitedly and said, Roger, out. Her smile, as she turned to face the rest of them, was like sunlight on a cloudy day. They re say rescue will be here by this time tomorrow, she reported. But combined with his relief over the creature's departure, the news made Ray feel like dancing a jig. Alas, there's not enough room for that. So he did the next best thing he could think of. Sitting down in one of the chairs that surrounded the table in the middle of the room, he looked his companions in the eyes one at a time and grinned. Anyone want up for a game of cards? So, yeah, I still kind of like that one. It's been a while since I read it. Um, it's kind of fun going off, finding strange new lands, new aliens, and meeting creatures out in space. And, you know, they would obviously be very different from us. But I like to think that at least some features of life carry on everywhere. Every creature in the wild will defend its young. Why not a creature in space, too, right? So, <clears throat> there uh, there we go. Uh, that's that story. Um, and then that's it for this week. I hope you liked it. If you like it, tell me what you liked about it. But even better, send some money. Yeah, that's what this is all about. Money for me. The, um, well, anyway, man's got to eat. But the, uh, you can do it a couple different ways. Uh, you can go to the website, um, like kingswood.com, and you can sign up for a newsletter. Uh, or you can go to Patreon and sign up to be a patron if you want to give me money on a regular basis, which is cool. You can go to my web store at ssnstorytelling.com where you can buy ebooks. E or paperback books or audiobooks that are available of all my books <clears throat> and it's better than going to Amazon because Amazon gives me anywhere between 40 and 70 percent buying it through my store I get about 95 percent of the money and wouldn't you rather the guy who wrote the stuff get 
all the money instead of just some of the money, right? Right? Eh? Eh? Plus, you can pay me with cryptocurrency on my site. Uh, if you like Bitcoin, uh, let's see, other stuff, Bitcoin Cash. Uh, ZK. The one thing that I'm not able to take is Ethereum. I can take a bunch of other stuff, too, um, just because the plugin that I found doesn't do Ethereum for some weird reason or other. I'll find one that does. But in the meantime, you can do that, too. Um, and there's all kinds of other ways to send me money because, hey, you love me. Or if you don't, even if you don't want to do that, uh, tell everybody you like the like my stories and spread the word about what I'm doing. Uh, subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and spread the word. That'll work too. Always like to hear from you guys. Uh, if you got something nice to say, or if you something I have something bad to say, go ahead and tell me too, and well, I can say something bad back back at you because hey, <laughs> why not? Um, but in the meantime, I guess we'll call this a, a day for now. Hope you guys uh, enjoyed it. Hope you have a good week coming up, and I'll talk to you next time. Until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Later. That'll do it for this episode of Storytime with Michael Kingswood. Come by my website, michaelkingswood.com, for information about my work. There you can sign up for a newsletter where I tell about new releases and special promotions. Guaranteed to be spam free. Or just drop me an email at michael at michaelkingswood.com and I look forward to hearing from you. If you really like my stuff and feel like giving me a buck, drop by Patreon and sign up to be a patron. As always, if you like today's story, be sure to leave a review on your favorite online bookstore and share this podcast with all your friends. This production is copyrighted at Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music, copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.